We're going to get an Egg McMuffin at 4 p.m. on a Tuesday on this Consumer Goods Edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean Riley here at Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Tuesday, October 6th, 2015, and with me today is the devilishly handsome Vincent Chen. Vince, have you gotten any pumpkin spice lattes yet this year? No, I have not. It's October, man. What are you doing? It's not my thing. No? No. Oh, well. All right. I'll get you one later and sell you. Um, So we've got a lot of ground to cover, um, including some talks being held between SAB Miller and AB InBev about creating a gargantuan beer company. Yep. Um, Pepsi's latest earnings. and uh, But first, I wanted to take a look at McDonald's and why you uh, might not have to run into one 9.59 a.m. hoping that they're still serving breakfast. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you, Vince? I honestly have never been that big of a fan of McDonald's breakfast. It's not something I seek out regularly, but apparently, uh, according to what management has heard from a lot of its customers, this is a big move for them. They're not the first fast food chain to... um Breakfast seems to be like the moneymaker because I'm sure you remember last year Taco Bell started doing the breakfast push and all that stuff because they saw all the money that McDonald's is making doing it. Absolutely. So, you know, I'll get to that in a little bit, but basically, you know, today, official rollout across the country for uh, U.S. McDonald's locations, you can order some breakfast items uh, during non breakfast hours. Okay. Can uh, I get my pancakes? I'm actually not sure about the pancakes, no? okay. uh, but uh, you know some of their their you know real staples like the egg McMuffin, for example, yeah. are de- are definitely available. Um, so their customers are obviously, from what I understand, it they're kind of rejoicing here. Is did they do a bunch of market research and then, as I understand it, they tested it out in Tennessee? Like what what was the customer reaction? Why did they do it? So as you mentioned, uh, testing began uh, earlier this year. I think it was. Uh, March or April in Nashville and in uh, markets like San Diego as well. Uh, obviously, must have gone pretty well for them. And the thing is, you know, as like I mentioned, management had heard that one of the one of the most regular requests they received from customers and feedback they received was, "We want bre- we want to be able to get breakfast all day." Got it. Um, so the issue is, and I think the reason why it's taken them so long, right? The company has been around for right. some time. Uh, well, this has been a joke. I mean, like I, I joked about running in there at nine fifty nine, hoping that they're still serving breakfast. But that's, I mean, that's been going on as long as I can remember. Exactly, and uh, I think the reason why it took them so long to to roll this out was uh, not just not just because they were like. Uh, against the idea, but there's a lot of operational and logistical well, challenges to and this. And that was, uh, was going to be my next question, because this, uh, I don't want to say it's going to be a hassle, but, I mean, they have their inventory management, I assume, down to a science. We need statistically X number of patties per day. We need X number of blah, blah, blah sure. in store. Um, this is going to throw a wrench in that. And in addition to that, you need to be like, okay, how many people are going to buy an Egg McMuffin at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday? Like well, The thing on top of I think what makes it even harder is, you know, previously, uh, a lot of people were talking about why has McDonald's been struggling. So, of course, there's like the uh, general trend towards healthier food. Uh, people want higher quality food. But I, I, I think a lot of people, and for, at least for diners who would go to McDonald's in the first place, they were complaining about uh, longer wait times poor service quality, and a lot of that was attributed potentially to 
an overly complicated menu. Right. Right. You have a lot of items that you need to be prepared to make. It slows down kitchen staff. It's it just gunks up the whole. Well, works, that's what that was the first thing that um, 3G Capital did when they took over. That was 3G that bought Burger King, right? The first thing they went in there, they actually hired a um, young guy who was like 32. Um, I have tons of respect for this guy, and his name escapes me, so I apologize, gentlemen, uh, if you're listening. Um, but um, he actually worked at a store. The CEO, the guy that was put in charge to run Burger King after this private, private equity group bought it, um, he worked in a restaurant and cleaned the, the bathrooms and everything for like three months to get a feel for it. And the first thing he actually did after that was simplifying the menu drastically. So, you know, McDonald's is running into the same issue, and now... You know, I think they made some moves to help simplify the menu, but I think a lot of franchisees were frustrated that okay, well, you know, you're rolling out this new initiative with all day breakfast, and we're running into that problem again. Right. Employees need to be trained. They need to basically get all the kitchen equipment ready to grill some burgers and grill, you know, sausage right. patties or whatever. Uh, so that is a, I think, was one of the hiccups that prevented this from coming out sooner. Got it. Um, so. It almost seems like they also needed to do this because the reason people go to McDonald's has shifted. Because uh, you know, 50 years ago, if you wanted a burger, throw the the whole family in the station wagon and go to McDonald's. Uh, now we go to Shake Shack or Chipotle or something. Um, but uh, McDonald's breakfast seems to still be kind of hip, and they needed to give people a reason to go. Yeah. So you know, obviously the company has. Uh, you know they've seen their revenue slide, especially uh, in the U.S. Same source sales have declined for seven straight quarters. Is down two percent in the most recent quarter. It's just a slow grind. Overall down. revenue yeah. was down nine point five percent year over year, uh, most recently to about six point five billion. So, um, you know they have this rolled out now to fourteen thousand plus uh, locations in wow. the U.S. So keep in mind how just large of a yeah. operational yeah, endeavor still, this was. I mean, other than and this was also yeah. you know. Approved through a vote by the bulk of their uh, franchisees, mm-hmm. so it's not like they're just instituting this top down, right? But um, overall, like to pleasing the people who love McDonald's breakfast so much, there is you know a rationale behind this. Where you know MPD Group, they did some studies that basically said for the year ended June 2015, for the three major uh, meals, breakfast is showing by far the most robust growth. Yeah, five percent. Uh, growth for breakfast versus one percent for lunch. I think it's flat for dinner. People are on the go. And you mentioned some of the competitors doing this, like Taco Bell, right? And I think that's the reason why we're seeing uh, breakfast offerings from a lot of these competitors, right. because you know part of that study MPD did. Interestingly enough, it's like the grab and go, quick uh, breakfast sandwiches, items like school, that. Need, they are making yeah. up the bulk of that growth. So. It's very beneficial for these restaurants to be kicking into that. Um, so before we move on um, to uh, just McDonald's share price and everything, um, real quick, what was this about? They're actually experimenting with premium burgers and stuff. Well, uh, obviously, management is aware that they need to do something to improve the situation at the company, and so they've been testing a ton of different initiatives. Like I've heard uh, just a few things they've experimented with. They did the really fancy restaurant in Japan uh, where they it was like a very high dining kind of fine dining kind mm-hmm. of experience um, they've done they're launching their premium like buttermilk chicken sandwiches they also had a bunch of bargain meal deals for the summer uh, taste crafted premium burgers where you order at the kiosk and uh, it's supposed to be more expensive a little more expensive higher quality to try and like match that uh, 
that just uh, better quality food that people are looking for from some fast casuals, for example. So this, they're not sitting on their hands, uh, kind of just hoping right. things won't improve. They're testing a lot of new concepts, just like they did with all day breakfast. Um, so for foolish investors that are kind of curious, how has McDonald's share price been doing? Why should I own it? Should I not own it? What do you think? This is something that uh, I, I thought was interesting because you know, considering how many people are like ready to write the obituary on McDonald's, saying like you know, fast food at its level is not going to be able to compete against the fast casuals that are offering like organic, natural food. The fact of the matter is, uh, you know. They have a reputation for being very stable with uh, very solid dividend payments, too. And you got to keep in mind that the company year-to-date is up 9%, the stock is, versus about a 3% decline for the S&P 500. So, beating the market so far this year. It is not dying. Year. Yeah. And, stretch, yeah. you know, it's actually pushing up against its 52-week high yeah. at about a it's, little over $100 It keeps giving $100 the high five, as I recall. And, uh, so when you keep that in mind, plus the fact that it's yielding three point four percent, and McDonald's is Which ultimately is what, a cash cow. Uh, a thirty-year Treasury yields right now. <laughs> it's ultimately a cash cow. They have they generate billions of dollars every year in free cash flow that they can use to invest in these new initiatives, right. to keep their payout going, to get the business to keep the business in good shape. I, it, I think it's a little too soon. Uh, they have a lot of levers that they can pull to you, get things. You could going do again. worse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, before we move on uh, to discussing the potential merger between SAB Miller and AB InBev, I wanted to point our listeners to a newly redesigned focus.fool.com. There you'll discover a special offer to join the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter for all industry-focused listeners. All loyal IF listeners have access to a special discount on Stock Advisor that works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this offer. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And uh, moving on, so um, essentially the two largest beer brewers on planet Earth were flirting with the idea of merging, um, much to the chagrin of antitrust regulators, I assume. Um, Got turned down, but now they're talking again? I mean, what's... So Bloomberg reported recently, um, you know, the news that broke... I think about two weeks ago, yeah, one or two where uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev basically approached SAB Miller kind of informally. The offer came out uh, to, I think, around a $100 billion deal. Massive. Trump change. Okay. Trump so, change. Um, ultimately, uh, again, more kind of rumors. Bloomberg reported today that uh, SAB Miller ultimately turned down that deal. Not that they're, and I think they're kind of going back to the negotiating table at this point, uh, based on uh, I guess Do you some of their. If it was stock for stock, or was there a chunk of cash in there? Uh, I'm actually. I think that's a a part of why some investors on the AB InBev side are a little bit uh, apprehensive yeah. about the deal because you know their balance sheets actually already stretched quite right. a bit. So I have to imagine there's going to be a stock component. To the okay. Deal. Uh, oh, but you know, SAB Miller basically went back at them said. Offers too low. We're not happy with that. They will. I think they're pushing for something about ten to fifteen percent higher. As I, I'm trying to recall the portfolios, SAB Miller, as I recall, has got a pretty rocking portfolio. Of yeah, of course, huge brands. And uh, you know, since the deal was announced, pull that up here. Go on. Sorry. Since the deal was announced uh, about two weeks ago, obviously those kind of rumors drove the stock price up for SAB Miller about twenty five percent. Yeah, and um. AB InBev's offer wasn't exactly wasn't exactly low. It was like a thirty oh, percent plus premium, thirty percent plus premium to uh, the pre-announcement prices, essentially. Um, so, interestingly enough, 
kind of next steps. Uh, they're going back to the table. And SAB Miller actually reported ahead of schedule some details from its fiscal second quarter results. Um, uh, they were able to log currency adjusted revenue growth of six percent, volume growth of two percent. So they're you know definitely seeing uh, some pretty strong numbers, and you can kind of imagine that that was released to influence the negotiations in their flavor, in their favor at least a little bit. Um, and very importantly, SAB Miller saw strong sales growth in Africa and Latin America, which. Uh, a lot of analysts they're, believe they're are the two markets. Too, yeah. A lot of analysts believe it's those two markets that are of particular interest to AB and Bev. So again, trying to to basically butter themselves up to look particularly appealing to win that additional premium that they want for their shares. Um, and overall, I think I think they have until about mid October for AB and Bev to make a formal offer. But considering the size of the deal, they might try and push that for an extension. How are the brands looking? Yeah, they've got. I mean, they've got Blue Moon, bunch of beers that I've never seen. They got you know beers in Honduras, Atlas beer in South America. Yeah, it's that it's I that mean, international it's, portfolio in particular that I think Newcastle is really over there attractive. in the UK. Coors, of course, here Miller here. Um, yeah, no, the, I mean they've got jeez, oh, fifty, a hundred brands, something. Um, Foster's, of course, over there. Doesn't Dylan love Foster's? <laughs> um, so what? Uh, what can investors expect? I mean, is this just like a thing that probably won't happen? Well, the stock's tra- the stock's down about three percent on the news um, for SAB Miller. Now that you know that they rejected right. the offer, it's going to be a roller coaster. The the advantage of this seems to be uh, the natural cost cutting advantages, cost savings that would occur if you merge these two companies. So I'd and, the, think... and there and there's been numbers thrown around from anywhere from like a billion to two billion dollars, considering the size of the deal right. and the size of these companies and their leading position. Admittedly, you know, I think anybody who's trying to kind of uh, play this M and A deal, they really need to consider the fact that this is going to have a ton of regulatory scrutiny. Yeah, I mean, they're number one or number two. I mean, stop me. So, yeah, uh, that alone is going to give I think a lot of people pause. But it's not. It's again, it's still enough to get a SAB Miller stock a twenty five percent bump in the past right. two weeks. For sure. Okay. Well, moving on to our last story here. I'm all excited to talk about Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up as a Coke man, but I won't hold that against Pepsi because I don't afraid to lie. Um, pretty good earnings, although, man, the currency results. Yes. I. That was the thing that jumped out at me. We'll get to the actual results in a minute. But um, uh, adjusted earnings per share beat analyst estimates, but um, unadjusted uh, took like a 15% hit because of the you know stronger dollars. So, of course, uh, currencies mm-hmm. they earn overseas is worth less. Um, that's I mean that's a sixth of your income. Well, yeah, and you're hurting her away. To, and at least for this, at least for the one-time charges, they also had that huge hit from Venezuela operations. As yeah. Well. So what was the deal there? Uh, so basically, uh, they had to take a one point four billion dollar write down. Uh, yeah, a one point four billion dollar write down amounted to uh, it, was, it was pretty substantial, about ninety two cents per share. I think hit on their earnings. Um, and it basically had to do with some government action in Venezuela, that, and the company is basically saying, you know, what, from now going forward, we're not going to be reporting Venezuela, uh, our Venezuelan operations as part of like our main uh, financial results. It's not going well, so we're not going to talk about it <laughs> unless it's cash receipts. You know, it has to do with the inflation there and some of the yeah. actions the government's taking to kind of uh, prop up the 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 economic situation. But uh, that was a huge one-time charge for them. But adjusting for that, uh, they saw a lot of positive 
results, especially from what has generally been their slower growth region, which is their home market in North America. And uh, as I understand it, um, so drink volume was up 3% on North America, um, but the real winner here was actually pricing. They just jacked up prices on us. Mm-hmm. I think overall they, they, they were able they were able to win uh, I think like 6% price increases across the board. So yeah. for their North America North American snack segment, uh, you know, volume was up uh, only half a percent. Higher pricing boosted revenue though for the actual segment 2%. And then you saw sim- something similar too with uh, the drink segment in North America. Volume up 3%, but the higher pricing boosted it 5. Wow. For revenue. Um and the thing is, uh, I, there's also again that shift that we're not surprised to see anymore in terms of the 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 mix for beverages. At least, you know, most of that strength came from non Pepsi branded drinks like Gatorade. Yeah. All right, non carbonated drinks. Stuff, yeah. Um, so diet sodas got bombed. Yes. That was what was that down six or so something. So home market saw a ten percent rise in non carbonated drinks. Soda declined one point nine percent. Now, as part of soda. Full calorie, the the full calorie options were down one percent. Diet sodas came down at six point five percent. I think management kind of attributed that to concerns over some of the artificial sweeteners they use, like, like an aspartame thing. Exactly. Like, yeah. Um, I believe they switched over their diet Pepsi to use something like sucralose instead. Uh, hope, hoping that, that an alternative. <laughs> Hoping that uh, an alternative will get people back on that, but that, honestly, the diet soda decline has been something that has been trending for some time now. I'm sure you've noticed, um, you know, you're walking down the grocery store, and they're they're both Pepsi and Coke are starting to push the the natural sugars in there, and they'll have like Coke Life, and they have the green bottle, mm-hmm. and it's just using natural sugar and. Um, Pepsi actually did the what are they doing the throwback and they have the original uh, the original formula with regular sugars and it like looks like the old packaging and old cans and <laughs> stuff. Um, I was kind of I, I wonder what their results would have been had they not been trying to spice things up with real sugar and throwbacks and all that. Uh, I guess it kind of just depends on what your view is of people who care about something like that. Just because you changed over to using natural or cane sugar or something, is I mean, that going to be enough to get them I, to drink soda I, anyway? I have not said, oh, it has real sugar now, I'll drink it. Like, I, you know. <laughs> um, so, I, I don't know. I I prefer those. I have a soda on occasion, and I will look for yeah. those versions that will have, like, the Coca-Colas that use real sugar. The the bottles from... Yeah, the glass bottles, yeah, especially nice. Good times, yeah. Um, but I think... That shift overall is going to hurt them, regardless of whether they release some of these limited products or not. The fact, you know, yeah. that's there's a reason why they're seeing these trends with their other drinks like Gatorade, uh, their their waters, their teas, doing so much better. Right. Uh, so before we sign off here, what do you think of uh, the reaction to Pepsi's results? Stocks up like one point eight nine percent or something right yeah, now. Yeah. So I think uh, I think yeah, it was up about two percent right before we came down uh, for the show, and I think. That growth, that the strong growth that they're seeing in North America is very beneficial, and that pricing, man, that's like, and then also the fact that you know I th- they were able to up, I think their earnings guidance for the full year to like nine yeah. percent growth. And I if we aren't on track to hit it, we'll just jack up prices more. <laughs> um, so considering uh, how important their home market still is, uh, I think that's able for them to outweigh some of the really. Big currency hits, headwinds right. that they, they well, experienced. One would imagine that over the long term that'll get smoothed out and the dollar will come back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, for you, you know, know, if you're looking at this long term, <laughs> you can appreciate the fact that 
you know, their core business, right? Their yeah, their organic revenue was up seven point five percent. So that's a win. That's a definite win for sure. Okay. Well, thank you for your thoughts, Vince. Thanks, John. Have a good one. If you are a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear in this program. For Vincent Chen, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!